Welcome to Date Night of the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week we're talking The Curse of La Llorona. So, uh, just so everyone knows, I purposely let <laughs> Jess say that by herself. A, because I'm tongue-tied and can't trill my, t- my R's. <laughs> and also, you all have been listening to this long <laughs> enough. You know how white I am. <laughs> I'm just about as white. Yeah, but although you, I really want to do that 23 and me. I feel I feel like there's something cuz most people don't think I am what I am. So I feel like I got y- to You get a lot of different ethnicities that people guess about you. Yeah, so I feel like I need to do it. I need to do the thing. We we might do it. Um I don't love the idea of putting all my DNA and stuff they out there. We already have our DNA. I don't love the idea of flashing my DNA all around town. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Just flashing it wherever I go. <laughs> hey, honey, you want to see some DNA? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, God, I just heard that. <laughs> uh, our apologies. And now back to the curse of La Llorona. I want to think, I keep thinking it's L L A. It's L L O. I'm, I know. It's Yo. Yeah, so La Llorona. Llorona. Yeah, tap the R. Yorona. There you go. Oh, hey. There you go, uh, homie. Um, so we went and saw... I, I said this in the car, and so you know the rules. We don't really talk about the movies until we sit down. So we're sitting down to talk about this for the, for the first time, but we always gauge each other's reactions. Mm-hmm. And my reaction was, something else other than scary movies and superhero movies has got to come out. I can't wait till May when Brightburn comes out and it's one of each. I am tired. I know. I I was actually thinking about that the other day because all we've seen lately, or at least that we've done on the podcast, uh, are... Yeah, because we've seen some good movies at home. Yeah, but we've seen scary movies and we've seen superhero movies. I mean... I'm burnt. I mean, and it's just where the zeitgeist is, you know? I know. And like, it's not like it's, they've been bad. I mean, obviously we've got, we've had some good reviews come out, but. Yeah. Surprisingly for Shazam. I know, which was super duper fun. I just am ready for something else. Well, and I went, I am waiting for a juicy original movie. Yes, because like we've got so like the last non-superhero, non-horror movie that we saw was Dumbo, which of course was a remake. Right. Original. Yeah. Like, I'm not looking forward to Aladdin, which we are looking forward see. to the Lion King though. I am, but I want something, I want a new story. Yeah. I am ready for a new story, which we did see an original content. So let's talk about that for two seconds. Yeah. We saw eighth grade. Eighth grade. I'm sitting here as a year old guy <laughs> and I cannot believe how much I loved that movie it's great uh, we saw it on Amazon Prime mm-hmm. um, it's, it, it is definitely worth the price of a rental if you don't already have like Prime agreed what, what rentals are what four or five bucks yeah um, it was phenomenal it's a it's a modern day coming of age story and I had this realization that it was so needed. Like every generation needs a coming of age. Right. And this is such a pertinent and beautiful and it was great. I, it was, it was universal as yeah. well. Well, and, and like we said, we are definitely not the age that this movie is meant for. And this was still a rated R movie. 
Uh, well, I mean, but like a 13-year-old needed to see this movie. Yeah, well, and, and that's like Bo Burnham, the director, which I was so surprised that Bo Burnham was this mature of a filmmaker. I agree. Bo Burnham is a really funny stand-up comedian. And you might have seen him in, he was on an episode of Parks and Rec where he played that like awful country singer. Yeah. Uh, who was like, you know, get home safe, boys. Thanks for defending our country. Oh my God, I said I wanted ham, not turkey. You know? <laughs> He's so funny on that. And he was in uh, The Big Sick. Yeah. Which, you know, he played a little, uh, not a little, but he played a minor character in there, but it was a really memorable minor character. Yeah. Uh, so I knew him as that. And then this 27 year old guy decides to make a coming of age story about an eighth grade girl. And he is so in tune with it. I was, I was blown away. Blown. I was that, blown away. That's a level of maturity to be able to like, not even talking about filmmaking right now, but this is a guy who was able to actually understand it. As far as I can tell, as, you know, uh, not that age white guy. Right. Uh, he was able to understand that experience, translate it to other people, but still safely communicate it with the young star, Elsie Fisher. Yeah. Who um, was She great. was great. You might recognize her from, she was the original voice of the youngest daughter in Despicable Me. Cute. Yeah. But... But seriously, like that is a level of maturity to be able to understand kids and teenagers that way that I hope I can achieve one day. Oh, and I will say, you know, as an adult now, as a grown up, mm-hmm. paying my mortgage and my bills for some time now. Yeah. Um, I understand now what a coming of age story means as a grown up mm-hmm. because I don't fully understand this young person's experience. Right. My life has been very very different um and i just thought it was i was blown away and it was an it was an opportunity too to understand this young person's point of view but also understand that it's the same baloney that we went through but just also just the mere pressure i have a hard time posting on social media for us every Mm-hmm. Every week, and we're supposed to be growing this audience. Which, for those of you who continue to join us here, thank you. Yeah, but it's it's really hard to connect with others on social media through a platform as opposed to just yourself, mm-hmm. and it's really stressful. I can't imagine that's how my all of my friends communicate with me. That I'm constantly feel I'm being judged and seen, and also need to live up to a certain standard with things that aren't actually tangible i I remember once uh you had just like on facebook commented on a stunt friend's picture uh just saying hey you look great and they got back to you and they were just like what did you mean by that oh yeah yeah and i was like uh you look great and it it's just, it's very difficult. And so this, um, we, of course, we have an actual podcast to get to, but go see 8th grade. It was something original in a format that is extremely comfortable and well-known. Mm-hmm. And it was just really, really and well done. I want to give a shout out to, I'm going to look up his name right now, but the actor who played the dad. Oh, he was so, there's something about this movie that tapped into some really 
heartfelt oh. truth. Josh Hamilton. Oh, great. Elsie was- Fisher and Josh Hamilton. We talked about this too, is that you normally think about chemistry in terms of either a romance or like a buddy film. Right, right, right. But as a father and daughter, they had such a tangible chemistry yeah. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin the big crux of their relationship for anybody who's gonna go see gonna go watch this after listening to this. But we talk about earned moments all the time on this podcast. And this was such an earned moment. The two of them together, uh it it was just amazing. Go see eighth grade. Agreed. So that tangent's over, and I think that's why we're so Thirsty cops for <laughs> um, some original content. And it's time to get to brass tacks because we now have an official dog of the podcast. We do. Charlie's been in a mood the last couple of days. We, ha- <laughs> we had a get together on Easter Sunday at our place and we were hoping that that would just wipe him out for like three days. We were incorrect. Yeah, we took them on a mile long W-A-L-K. We have to play by toddler rules when the dogs are around and we're saying no, such things. They can things. spell. They can spell. Um, we took him on one of those today and... He- Whenever we got home, he was just out of it. But now he's very, very full of himself. He's wild. Yeah. So we've got a dog of the podcast. And um, because we're talking the curse of La Llorona, um, we are having red, red wine because it's the blood of the Lord. Yeah. And I think that was the drink of the podcast for the nun as well, right? No, that was vodka. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know what the official drink of the podcast was. We had vodka in the hotel room in L.A., right. which, ooh, I just heard that out loud. Um, <laughs> no, because uh, so when we recorded The Nun, I was working in Los Angeles. Um, and for those of you who listened to it, Alexander Ward was our special guest, We, which we actually wanted to see this with Alex. Um, we are heading to Los Angeles um, in a couple of weeks for the Taurus World Stunt Awards and for Malton Fest. So if you're going to Malton Fest, make sure to hit us up. We, I'm so stoked. I am that. so excited. I'm only disappointed that we can't go all three days. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but, uh, so we were going to have him on for this as well. So if you're interested in creature work, definitely check out the episode of the nun, despite mm-hmm. the movie is horrible. Yeah. Um, but no, we wanted to have Alex on this one, but you can never tell how long a movie is going to stay in theaters anymore. And we were like, well, if we want to see this movie, then we should probably just go on ahead and do it. Right. So we'll make sure that we get Alex back on because I know um, several of you have reached out saying more more things like this, which is why we keep bringing guests on that kind of do mm-hmm. left of center things yeah. that, that aren't just actors. Shout out to, uh, I guess, the episode two weeks ago uh, with John Rod. That was yeah. a great interview. It was great. Yeah. Um, so and he's just the nicest guy in the world. He, uh, yeah. And y'all, when we say like... He's a busy dude. The fact that he took the time that he did to talk with us yeah. is incredible. So definitely listen to his episode, like, even if you're not a it, score mixer. Yeah, it's worth noting, too, that John, from the very beginning, was all in for doing this. It was literally just a matter of scheduling, because dude works all the time. All the time. Yeah. Um, and so one thing that we really pride ourselves at this podcast is the ability to kind of really look into film. Um, so if you're an aspiring film nerd or already there with us, um, we're really glad that we're able to bring you some content and some people that really, really make these movies good. Mm-hmm. Like you have all the artistic talent, but it, without a lot of this technical work, it's like if you have a bad DP, then this whole story is still not going to be good. Yeah, it, 
you never you should never forget about the people who are doing the heavy lifting on things like and what i always call the non-sexy work you know a few years ago whenever like the oscars so white thing was going around uh that was basically for those of you who didn't live in hollywood in 2013 uh <laughs> it was a, basically about the lack of diversity in the academy awards right um which was very you know they were very right about what they were talking about. Cause well, it, I mean, the reaction afterwards is that all of a sudden the Academy got full of people who were a, a more wide range of people other than old white dudes. Yeah, but what bothered me about that, though, is that whenever people were talking about that, they were talking about the sexy awards. They were talking about the directors. They were talking about the actors. They were talking right. about things like that. They weren't paying attention to the fact that, like... The, that like you know the sound mixing team tends to be fairly diverse. Costumers tend to be fairly diverse. Uh, costumers, at least in gender. I mean, they tend to be white ladies. Well, that that is very true. <laughs> um, but but you know the the conversation got caught up in old white dudes, and so that's that's what I'm talking about. Like I remember whenever that was going around, I actually went through every nominee and I looked every nominee up and found like it was there was actually a lot of diversity in the technical awards, but people tend to call those the minor technical awards, which drives me up the wall. It makes me nuts, and that's one of the arguments that I have for. Um, the stunts being part of the Oscars mm -hmm. is you it's a technical as well as artistic award right um and it's it's a sexy award too people notice the stunts yeah but people don't assume good stunt work with good storytelling which is also incorrect mm -hmm. but it's but again we're talking about old white dudes oh my god stunts stunt coordinators yeah if you think about it um who would be up for those awards right now mm -hmm. for the most part i mean for the most part i mean there's a very we'll pretend that 2020 would have that these i mean mo ganderton is one of the you know one of the stunt coordinators for endgame but that's you know in a sea of how many so it is some it is an issue but i agree like we here at dnatm headquarters are huge huge advocates for the technical and the technical awards because yeah. I mean that's kind of what keeps our light bills on exactly and if you are ever going to you know again it's human nature you focus on the sexy stuff you focus on if we're talking Oscars you focus on actors directors you know I focus on composer I think that's one of the like that can maybe be considered a technical award but like it's, and it's a technical artistic award yeah but, but i mean but if you think about it the sound designer and the mix mm -hmm. are a totally different ball game absolutely so so all i'm saying is that pay attention to the non sexy awards too yeah. because they're doing more heavy lifting on the movies than you can imagine yeah. we've got to talk about this movie i think we're just stalling i think so so we're raising our glass to all the technical filmmakers and everybody who gets this to your theater. If we, I didn't love my studio so much, I'd be pouring one out on the curb. Yes, but we love our studio, and uh, I have the bear right underneath me. Yeah, don't I'm, waterboard the bear with wine. <laughs> 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 and now we talk about the curse of La Llorona. So how are we going to rate this one? In creepy fingers. Creepy fingers. Or right? umbrellas. I like creepy fingers better. Creepy fingers. Um, is it my turn or your turn? Your turn. Okay. I'm going to give this one... I'm going to give this one like two and three quarters. Okay. 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 I Why? almost went two and a half. Okay. The main thing that stopped me, and of course, it didn't stay at this, but I initially gave the nun two and a half. 
Uh, yeah, but I think all of us, like... The Nun's down to a two for me. Oh, the Nun's to a one and a half for me. Yeah. There was too um, many bells. We get it. The foreshadowing beats you over the head. So the main reason I say two and three quarters, this was almost two and a half, but I wanted to keep some consistency for because I care about that tonight. Um, Charlie's having a crisis. Yeah. Sorry for all of you who the, may have to hear it. To me, this one was a little better than The Nun, but it was almost the same movie. <gasps> really? Yes. I disagree, but I'm excited to hear why. Okay. Um, we won't get into too much of it with the spo- until we get into spoilers. No spoiler territory. Um, can I talk about things that I did like? I just want to have a moment that we're having a La Llorona episode upstairs. So we've left Madison upstairs on her own devices. I don't know what's she, going on. She's getting her, she's getting her rug comfortable, <laughs> is what she's doing. It's mayhem up there. Um, um, I'm so sorry. What were you going to say? Things that I liked about it. Okay. Um, I thought sound design was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I thought the score was pretty good. Uh, we were in the theater that messes with the sound again, and we finally had to talk to the manager of the movie theater about that. Which was a very positive experience. So we'll yeah. end the podcast, make sure we'll talk about that experience yeah. and how to be a good moviegoer. Right. Um, but, uh, um, yes, I actually, what I liked about the score, if I may interject, mm-hmm. um, because I agree, I liked the well, score. let's talk about the score a little later. Let, let's oh, uh, let's go on in, then. Yeah. Well, I, I want you to remember what you were going to talk about. I'm going to try. I put, it, I put it over here mm-hmm. to remember it. I got it. Yeah. Hopefully I'll remember. Um, I thought some of the performances were good. I like Raymond Cruz a lot, uh, who played the former priest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he typically gets stuck. Most people know him from Tuco, as Tuco from Breaking Bad. Yeah. Um, He's great. But he tends to get stuck in a, like into like Latino gangbanger roles. Well, you look at him. Exactly. And th- I think I read this is the first like headlining role that he got in a movie. So Good for him. Yeah. So he I'm, was great. Yeah. Uh, I thought the actress who played La Llorona was great. Um, I like seeing Linda Cardellini in things, even whenever she's obviously almost in her 30s playing a high schooler on Freaks and Geeks. Oh, yeah. Um, I was like, what? Yeah. But for the most part, it was jump scare the movie that I didn't think did it as well as the Conjuring movies do or like it did. Um, it was just jump scares. It had a lot of the same beats, I think, from The Nun. Uh, also fair. I thought that the storytelling was pretty slapdash in a few places. Yeah. Oh my God. Are you going to make me not like this movie? Maybe. I just honestly, like this movie was fine. I'm not mad that we saw it, but I really don't think I want to see it again. Okay. That's fair. And I am a guy who rewatches bad horror movies. Uh, the recently I had to do some computer work upstairs, like just on my laptop. So I put on Halloween Resurrection, which is easily, if not the worst, the <laughs> second to worst Halloween movie that there is. Right. And I still put it on because I was like, you know what? Okay. <laughs> but this is a movie that I don't think I could ever see myself actively watching again. Okay. What about you? Well. I'm probably going to give it a two and a half, two and three quarters. Mm-hmm. Re- the reason why I don't give it any higher, um, if again, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that my favorite scary movie is The Conjuring. Mm-hmm. I love this world. I love it very much. I think by saddling, and you, none of you are going to be shocked. The, we'll save the actual connection for spoiler territory if that comes up. Um, it's super obvious, though. It's super obvious, but I'll save it because I actually went, oh, yeah, I I had to be reminded of it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've slept since 
those movies. Yeah. You know, and it's not from The Conjuring. Well, it is, isn't it? Uh, yeah. The That particular, that specific connection... Is from ble- Annabelle. Bleeds into The Conjuring, but it's specifically from Annabelle. Correct. Yeah. Which had started in The Conjuring. Anywho, right. um, I had to be reminded of that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it was saddled with a story that tied its hands behind its back. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, now I'm seeing more of the connection with The Nun. I didn't in the theater. Yeah. N- yeah. In the theater, I didn't. Again, I've slept since then, and I really have not even... Th- I like only have thought about the nun in the sense that I can see things that I really hated about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I thought the sound design was really great. I actually really loved all the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought the kids were really good. Yeah. Um, and then the actress that is in everything, she's um, in the mummy. She's in. Oh, um, uh, Patricia Velasquez. Yes. Patricia Velasquez. I think. Marta. Honest, Marta. Marta. Well, she's great. In Arrested Development, and she's great in The Mummy. Um, but I think that she wasn't as good as she normally is. Well, she did not have a thankful part at all. No, this was by no means due to her. Yeah. I think that the movie went through some... I think, to me, it obviously wasn't the movie that was originally written, but then James Wan got his hands on it. It becomes part of the universe, which mm-hmm. being part of the universe makes it sellable. Yeah. So I can't, you know, you can't fault it. For I kind that. of hate the word universe now. I hate all of the universes. It, it makes sense to use it in terms of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe because they're actually exploring the universe in those movies. But like the Conjuring Universe, it all takes place really within the same 1500 mile radius. That's not a universe. Mm, not Annabelle 2. Incorrect, sir. That's far. All right. Well, all right. It There's takes an pl- ocean. It takes place in the continental United States. No, it didn't. Oh, no. The Conjuring 2, that took pl- place in... Europe. Yeah. Okay. And you the know- nun took place in Europe. How about, how about this? Whoosh. It all takes place on Earth, and that's not a universe. And Fair I'm, enough. It's really distracting to hear that. Hold on one second. You keep talking. Okay. So, anyway... Um, uh, Patricia Velasquez was awesome as normal. Um, so, but I, I would say overall, I thought the actors were really great. And Linda Carnellini, um, she was really exciting to watch. Um, so you would know her um, from actually Age of Ultron. Um, she's in she's in Avengers. Speaking of universes, um, Linda Carnellini is indeed. Um, I was just talking about Linda Carnellini actually being in the universe of yeah. Marvel. Uh-huh. So, speaking of universes. Sorry, I had to go stop Madison from having an embolism barking so loud. Now yeah. she's telling me she's sorry. Oh, okay. Um, you have to take over. So anyway, um, I would I would say that uh, to me the reason that I just like didn't hate this, the acting in this was great. The Nun, the acting wasn't that good. You you are correct. The acting in this is definitely better than the Nun was. And the act the acting in this is good. Mm-hmm. The acting in this is good, considering what they had to work with. Yeah. The acting in this was good, and the and the woman who plays uh, La Llorona was really great. And she's like got a bunch of guest stars. It's Marisol Ramirez. And I was actually really impressed with her. Yeah, no, I thought she, I thought all the actors did a really good job. Um, you won't hear me say anything different. What, sorry, Madison is getting on her perch right now. Yes. Which, uh, for our new listeners, where is her perch? 
Uh, well, she has perches all over the house, but um, the podcast perch. Yeah, the podcast perch is straight in Jessica's lap, right underneath the microphone stand. Yes. Um, so again, you're gonna hear bumps and stuff in the microphone stand because we haven't got a podcast table yet, but uh, you'll deal with it. We're working on it. Um, for those of you who have grown with us, uh, I, I know that the sound has gotten better over time. Our, um, I definitely. Oh, I've lost her. Um, our format has definitely gotten dialed dialed in, but we're also in the midst of kind of. There's a lot of life stuff happening, so hopefully, new studio 101 is on its way. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, you know, this movie, I guess it's in a way, it's a little hard to talk about because I I hope I was hoping it would take some twists and turns. I would say some of my favorite things are kind of the visual effects of this movie. There's some things, um, and again, I don't want to get into spoilers for this, but the way that the, the Vich kind of appears and the way she appears... Mm-hmm. Well, and creepy. To, yeah, and that it was effective. The problem for that with me was is that it was straight up the first conjuring. Oh, like yeah. this this movie was basically just digging through the bag of tricks in every other conjuring universe movie. Yeah. Um, which that was the main problem I had. Now there were a couple of scenes. Yeah, because there was a lot of from the conjuring two. Uh huh. Um, when you first meet, um, Bethusela. No. Um, I can't remember the the Valak the, Valak the demon when mm-hmm. like Valak comes out of the wall. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There was a lot of stuff like that. Um, there were a couple of really good, effective like suspense scenes in this. Yeah, we'll save those. Yeah. Um, so like, it's not like this movie is just completely without merit. It's just no. if you've seen if you've seen the first two Conjuring movies and you've seen Annabelle Creation. You have seen yeah. everything this movie has to offer. Yeah, I also didn't appreciate that in the previews they showed uh, the next Annabelle, or the Conjuring 3, sorry. Yeah, uh, no, it was Annabelle 3. It's Annabelle 3? Yeah, Conjuring 3 is still in pre-pro. Mm, uh, yes, that's right. It's actually here in Atlanta. Is it? Yep. Well, there we go. Um, that's right. Um I didn't appreciate that they had the preview for Annabelle 3, which had actually just finished reshoots here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know, I hate the way that they've started doing previews for the Conjuring movies. I agree. I hate them because they're not show, they're not previews. They're showing you full scenes. Yeah. It's kind of like whenever Halloween came out and they showed what should have been the scariest moment in the movie just in the previews. Yeah, it's like, why? Where she's trying to shut the closet door. Yeah, save that. Yeah. I agree. Um, Let's talk about the music because we both, I have. Uh, I, I want to hear your specific thoughts on the music here. Well, what I liked about the music is actually the opening, like when the young lady at the very beginning is running into the house mm-hmm. and it's like, the it's like Los Angeles, 1973. Mm-hmm. The music in the, the house really set the tone for the kind of, I felt like the music at times was playful. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have to listen for the music. Mm-hmm. It, sh- it, it, it allowed me to hear it, yet it really informed a lot of the movie. And this is a, a different um, composer than normal. No, it's the same one. Is it the same? Yeah, Joseph Bashara. Is it the same? Yeah. Because so, it definitely had the same through line as all these. Yeah. So I thought it was someone different because he had a different spin, especially well, in the beginning well, of the Well, that's what I want to talk about, too. Now, the, what you're talking about was actually, I believe it was Superfly by Curtis Mayfield that they were playing. Was it? I thought yeah. it was original. No. Boy, I was wrong. No, but, I mean, you still noticed it in the soundtrack, and, you know, that there's something to be said about that. I mean, 
Music, music, music supervision is important. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, no, the composer for this is Joseph Bashara, who he did... He's done every Conjuring movie, except he didn't do Annabelle Creation. Uh, Benjamin Wallfish did that one. I loved Annabelle Creation. Yeah. And he didn't do The Nun. I, <laughs> the Nun, it only... it Whenever we talk about The Nun, and especially with the music, I always think of that MSTK3, where there's like... MST3K. What a, yeah, that. Yeah. I heard it. Sorry. Jessica didn't grow up watching MST3K the way that I did. So. No. And I'm ever so slightly dyslexic, so... Sorry. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just think, I always think of that episode where they're like, I want to know what movie this composer thought he was writing yeah, for. Yeah, they were doing Mac and Me, which was, uh, <laughs> ri- the music was written by Alan Silvestri. You know. Of all things. Yeah. And, and this is right off the heels off Back to the Future as well. So like they really got him in like prime hungry, but like, but like. On Yeah, point. on point. Alan Silvestri. And yeah, as the movie's going through, and Mac and Me, I don't, I shouldn't have to talk about how bad Mac and Me is. Just, but go watch the episode on it. Yeah, but my favorite joke in there is where it's going through there, and they're just like, "Wow, I want to see the movie the composer thought he was writing for." <laughs> which <laughs> is what it felt like for the nun. Which is what it feels like half the time I work on a movie sometimes. <laughs> Um, um, but I really liked I liked the music overall for this movie. Yeah, so I thought this was interesting because normally when you think of Joseph Bashar, and the last place we saw where we heard him was in the trench sequence in Aquaman, which we both That's really liked. Right? Yeah, yeah. James James Wan uh, brought him on to write the trench sequence, which was basically a horror movie, and that was one of the most effective parts of Aquaman. Agreed. Um, but. Normally you think of Joseph Bashar's music and it's like all atonal clusters and just like really like disturbing non-melodic music. Right. And he was surprisingly melodic in this movie. Yeah, I agree. Like, like uh, if you think like in the first conjuring, Joseph Bashar wrote all the music. He also actually played the demon. He was also the demon in the insidious movies as well, which That's he did the music right. for. But at the end what of the movie, like what a weird dude. I want to yeah. meet this guy. Um, but where was I going to say at the end of the first conjuring, it gets like, there's like this really sweet theme that they brought Mark Eichemann to, rec- to Is write. The... No, no, it's, uh, it's like, it's a very traditional score theme. Uh, I, th- I guess, I think Joseph Bashar wrote the little, um, wrote the, the music box theme, the little plinky plunky yeah. music. Um, but so n- normally my view of Joseph Bashar has always been, oh, he knows how to do this really suspenseful, like disturbing atonal music, but they bring somebody else in to be melodic. And this one, I thought he actually did a really good job of being pretty melodic in. I agree. And there were a couple of pretty traditional sounding orchestral moments in it as well. Yeah. And the theme for La Llorona, I liked. Yeah. I, I liked the music more than I did the movie. Fair enough. Um, let's see. Yeah, we're starting to get to the point where we need to take a break, but let's keep talking about some things we did like. Um, we talked we talked about the actors. Uh, Linda Cardellini's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, all the actors were great. The kids. Yeah. Great. Yeah. The little boys in the beginning. Mm-hmm. They were breaking. Yeah. Good. Uh, the little girl Sam. Uh, great. She she was really good. Um, I. I liked how much care they took because there are a couple of scenes where she's just like taking a bath, and of course she's like 
eight or whatever. How much care they took to make sure that didn't feel exploitive. Yeah, I think Kelly Barksdale was her stunt double. So like there's a bathtub scene mm-hmm. where some things get real. Yeah. It's in the previews. I'm not giving anything away. Yeah. Um, I'm be- I believe Kelly Barksdale was because so she was in the credits mm-hmm. and Kelly's a, a very small stunt woman. She's like four nine. Mm-hmm. So she doubles a lot of small Small people. So they took, they, but they did, like you said, they took a lot of care. Well, and like one where I really noticed that, I mean, obviously they frame the shots to where it's not like you're going to be like, ooh, am I going to see any uh, little girl nudity? Because, gross, 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 gross. Yeah, because that's disgusting. Uh, but even like whenever it was more of a close up on her in the bathtub, I don't know if you noticed this, but they actually put a blur at the bottom of the screen. Oh, I didn't notice. It was al- almost like they, like it, they didn't do this, but it looked like the same effect as like putting like a soft focus on something like they spread Vaseline on the lens, oh, Okay, but it was just in the bottom of the screen. So I think they did that just to take some extra care, which I really appreciated yeah. that. Um, so that actress, um, is this, this looks like her second feature. Mm-hmm. So she's a pretty new actress. It's Janie Lynn Kinchin. Um, she was, lo- she did a great job. Yeah. No, I thought, like you said, I think, uh, I think the actors, the performances in this movie were really good. Um, again, another special Raymond shout out. Raymond Cruz. Yeah, I, I was just about to say another shout out to Raymond Cruz because he's always really good in what he does. I first, I remember seeing him for the first time in uh, Clear and Present Danger, that Harrison Ford, Tom Clancy movie. Yeah. Uh, he played the sniper in there and he was actually really good in that. Uh, but then he also, like, like I said, he tends to get relegated to like Latino gangbanger roles. So like he played that in Training Day alongside noted racial ambiguity actor Cliff Curtis. Yes. Um but I it was nice to see him in a in a more serious role. Yeah. I wish the role was better written for him. I agreed. Uh I wish he was better directed in a few places. Um, but I thought, I mean, I always like seeing him in stuff and I like the fact that he got to be like leading man in this. I agree. I, I, I completely agree. Um, but I, I, like we've already said, the actors in this are, are really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish the one thing I just wish is that it was its own world that it could have existed in. I feel like this thing could have gone haywire i feel like this could have been bananas and it wasn't bananas and it it felt really wanted it it felt like they were trying to play it very safe and it just kind of ended up making kind of a bland bland movie like my problem with haunted house movies in general is that by their very nature they're movies where you're watching things happen to people you're not watching people actively do things. You're watching things happen to people. Right. And when done well, like in The Conjuring, it's really suspenseful and really scary. And when done well, like in certain scenes in this movie, it gets pretty suspenseful and pretty scary. Yeah. But for the most part, if like if the storytelling itself isn't done right, then uh then like it's kind of like just watching Idiot Plot, the movie, you know? Yeah. So I'm looking at the director, Michael Chavez, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering why the... Because like when you when like James Wan gets his hand on something, there's like a stamp. Mm-hmm. So like even Aquaman, Aquaman was a better movie because James Wan was behind the helm. Right. We've talked so many times about Sicario. Sicario, not in Villeneuve's hands. Mm-hmm. 
would have been a garbage truck. Right. It would have not been a very bad movie. Mm-hmm. This, so, and this isn't saying Michael Chavez is a garbage truck. No, no. But before the curse of La Llorona, um, he has two shorts. The Maiden, which is about a real estate agent trying to sell a haunted house, which is a nine minute long short. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then there's Billy Eilish, Bury a Friend, which a four, is a four-minute sh- um, four sh- short, but it's in a, f- a music video that's on IMDb. Yeah, um, I, I noticed that too, is that he's, he's done a few music videos and short films. This yeah. is his first feature film. Right, and what... Boy, <laughs> you know, that's, that's... And that's not to say... You know, for for me, I've directed a few shorts, Mm -hmm. but like if you were to say, Jess, direct this feature right now, I'd be like, no, (laughs) no, because I, I, I don't have enough tools to do that. Now, if you were like, Jess, stunt coordinator feature. Okay. I've done that. I've Mm -hmm. already done that. Yeah. I've done a lower budget feature. I've been a part of lots of features, like actively been a part of a lot of feature films that I know how to do that department really well. You know, his other, it just is digital effects. We've got some visual effects. So I'm a, it's interesting that we go from zero to hero really quickly. So I think they're kind of doing the same thing that Marvel got really lucky doing is whenever they're doing these cinematic universes, which everything is now, um, instead of like, you know, the first run of the Marvel movies, you know, they had Jon Favreau doing Iron Man. They had Kenneth Branagh doing uh, Thor. Which are people that you may not think as like, oh, they're directors, but those are people who have a serious history in this world. Um, And now what Marvel tends to do uh, is they tend to take people who they find talent in, but aren't very expensive. Like right. uh, the Russo brothers, who are now, they did the Avengers movies, uh, they did Winter Soldier and Civil War. They got hired on Winter Soldier because uh, Kevin Feige loved what they did on Community with the paintball episodes. That's right. So they're kind of, what Marvel does now is they're kind of plucking directors out of like TV and smaller things to bring them into uh, the Marvel fold. So my guess is that James Wan really liked Michael Chavez's short films and was like, yeah, I'll let him do this. Because I mean, this is only a $9 million feature. Right. And it's already gross worldwide, $57 million. Yeah. That's a pretty good return on investment. Yeah. And I mean, in the U.S. alone, it did $28 million, 27 so. Gotcha. Well, either way. Well, as of a couple of days ago, so it's maybe 28 Yeah. Um, according and of to course, the IMDb Of pros. course, put in $10 million for advertising. I mean, that movie's still made. No, that's uh, still part of the $9 million budget. Gotcha. When they give you the budget, that's the budget. Gotcha. They didn't have $9 million to shoot it. Mm-hmm. That was the budget for earthing. Gotcha. And a big, yes, and a big chunk of that goes to marketing. But either way, this movie has been profitable and good for Michael Chavez because I think he has the makings to be a good director. Um, yeah, but they didn't, there were definitely some flaws in the script and where it needed to go haywire, it didn't. Yeah, it. I mean, where it needed to go haywire, it definitely just kind of stayed on, uh, st- stayed on the laurels of what The Conjuring has already said it. Right. And I think he was the right person to get into the helm um, to give what people thought they wanted 
mm-hmm. give us very. It was a very safe movie. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's full of jump scares. I mean, by the end of it, I was like, I'm tired of being jump scared. Yeah. Um, but I didn't start the movie off behind my hands. Right. In a truly scary movie, I start behind my hands. Pet Cemetery ended up behind my hands real quick. Um, this, by the very end, I just, I get tired of getting jump scared. Yeah. So, well, James Wan has handpicked Michael Chavez to do uh, The Conjuring, Conjuring 3. And The Reckoning is another one he's on. Gotcha. I don't know anything about that one. All, all I'm saying is that I think they basically made this movie because Conjuring 3 wasn't ready to be made yet, and they were trying to keep it in the conscious. And $9 million is overall a really cheap way to get people to spend $200 million on the next Conjuring right. movie. Oh, okay. So the, the Reckoning, which is another movie that Michael Chavez is attached to, um is a supernatural horror thriller that takes place on a global scale produced by Michael Bay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I feel like we have another Super 8 on our hands. I mean, Super 8 minus the Spielberg and J.J. Abrams? Yeah, but like Michael Bay, so it's going to be like bananas and not make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so that being... Shut up! Those are special effects, not story points. I don't know the difference. We know you don't. We know you don't. That, I, that is it from South Park. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, that being said, let's go on a quick break. Yeah, we will take a quick break and we will be right back. So be safe on the movie theater and spoiler territory ahead. Have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like, where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because I need one? But then you think to yourself, I don't wanna go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you, you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back. You need to check out Rock's Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rock's, R-O-X. Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATENIGHT, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, Jewelry Shop.com, code DATENIGHT for 15% off. And we are back with Date Night at the Movies, talking The Curse of La Llorona. Did I do that right? I think you did pretty good. All right, all right I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, I have been tongue-tied since birth, and they didn't catch it until I was eight. And they were like, well, you'd have to relearn how to talk again, so let's just not clip his tongue. So that's why I can't play harmonica or whistle. <laughs> and I can't whistle just because I can't whistle. It happens to the best of us. So we're now in spoiler territory. I think with this movie... Uh, it's- uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Do, do we need to start doing, like, shock jock sound effects? No. All right. Except we can do that. No, I'm good. Um, yeah, with this movie, I don't think we're necessarily going to be talking as many spoilers as now we're going to be talking about things we didn't like about this movie. Or at least that's kind of where my, well, I am. let's talk about r- Ratched Now. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the climax the whole movie. Yeah. Um, it was The Nun. Yeah. It was the nun. They killed the. They killed La La Llorona. La La Llorona. Llorona. They killed her with a religious artifact. Yes. Which is the same thing as the nun. It kind of looked like it, the way that I remember the nun dying. Did the nun? Oh, it was exactly how the nun died. Was it? Except then she implanted herself on someone else. Yeah. Which also happens in this movie. Yeah. 
at, at least this movie they didn't end with Patrick Wilson going like they called him Frenchie. I know that was bad. <laughs> that was really bad. That was bad. And like Patrick Wilson, you sexy vanilla wafer, like shut it down. <laughs> like no. By the way, that is Leslie Jones. That is not my own thing. Um, so I, I got like really excited in the climax of this movie, um, but then I didn't understand. It just didn't make sense how. So in the movie. It, if you're just listening to this because you think we're funny, um, she, the little girl has this stuffed animal that her dad had mm-hmm. um, had given her, and her, their dad has, is dead, which, again, was a, was a plot point, but I don't understand why, why it was a thing, especially because it seems super recent. Can I give my little cynical theory on that? Hold it. Okay. It's, Shelf it. It's pocketed. Um, or as we say um, in intimacy coordination, uh, Rachel Flesher and Alicia Rhoda say, uh, "Parking lot it, mm-hmm. put it in the parking, put it park it." Um, th- that there was so she reaches over the threshold and like you know dis- you know disturbs the red hot chili peppers, and I didn't I didn't even understand how the toy got outside at all. So, because especially because it's a whole thing, like she blesses the doll and then it's outside, and that all gets totally destroyed. And then the line gets destroyed by the crazy lady, which I wasn't surprised that she came in. I actually suspected that the whole time that it wasn't a curse, it wasn't a ghost, it was her the whole time, mm-hmm. which would have been far more interesting that this was just a serial killer mother revenge yeah. story. Um, but I, I just I, like that once that happened, I was like, they're just making me nervous for the sake of making me nervous. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sh- like, I don't know. I, it just, it was tense. Yeah. I mean, that scene was done well. I think I remember the doll being uh, like sucked out the door. Like whenever he- I have no memory of that. Uh, whenever the former priest uh, like blessed her out the door, basically. He's kind of, he is a priest, just not connected with the church. Right. Uh, so, like, I think I remember the doll making it out the door there. I must have blinked. Yeah, I think it was a predator and, moment. Yeah, and lost the main character. Um, my cynical theory behind why the dad is dead. So this movie is called The Curse of La Llorona. Which is uh, Mexican, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the curse originated in Mexico like 400 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, La Llorona herself is Mexican. and The, the fir- weeping woman. Yeah. The first victims that you see are Mexican children. Her own children. Yeah. Um, and then the next victims you see are Mexican children from a Mexican family. Who is the lead actress in this movie? Linda Cardellini. Right. So I think that they still, there was might have still been a little bit of Hollywood racism going, which is to say that, you know, well, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to have all this Mexican stuff in there, we got to have the white woman do it. They had the dad die. So that way they could establish that the kids were mixed race. But okay. Fine. That, that's my, that's my, right. But why was, is it, but no, I understand why the dad needed to be a different race other than white, but that doesn't explain. He's recently died. It -hmm. is a story point, right? This family is vulnerable, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really like they don't, they don't 
it's just literally there is a device. Yeah. It, and they make a really big deal about it and that he was the religious one. But like she has at one point, she brings out his emblem of St. Michael. Mm-hmm. That never comes back into play. That totally should have come back into play. Yeah. I'm saying I disagree that your cynicism is correct. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they, the, the children needed to have some sort of ancestry. Which, if we was Mexican or not, we don't know that. that he was brownish in color. That's true. That's, they are they are of Hispanic origin, right? And which in Los Angeles could be anywhere. Yeah. Now it's not just so much like in Florida. Like in Florida, grow like being there. You know, everyone was Puerto Rican or Cuban. But um, I mean, I grew up on the National Horse Circuit, and I knew a lot of people from Mexico but all over the nation. So you can't just assume, especially in Los Angeles, that they're just Mexican. That's true. I, I'm, because they could be Angelinos. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting Mexican heritage from the fact that, that the curse takes place in Mexico. Right. Or started in Mexico. Right. And that, so that's kind of where that's coming from. Regardless, everything was Hispanic except for the lead actress. Right. But it doesn't answer my question of... The story. So, so the answer to that question is lazy screenwriting. Oh. It's similar to in the original Friday the Thirteenth. You know why that movie is set at a summer camp? Because they wanted to isolate the kids so they could kill them. Oh. So there. So it's the same type of thing. Well, how do we isolate the the mother and the children? Oh, well, we start off with the dad dead. You know, but it, it sucks though because the father is still part of the main story. Right. They, the, I mean, I'm not, when you go, when you talk, when they first introduced the weeping woman, the father witnesses this crap, but then we don't know what happens to him. They just like completely are like, why? This movie doesn't matter. This movie has a real problem completing plot lines. Uh, you don't know what happens to the father after she, after La Llorona drowns her children. The weeping woman. The weeping woman drowns her children. Uh, they don't ever, there's no payoff with the dead father and the medal of St. Christopher. Um, there's no payoff with, uh, with the social services investigating her. No, there's no payoff after the woman breaks into their house, shoots a guy in the shoulder, uh, and then she just tells her to go upstairs and save her children. And then she's not in the movie anymore. I know. And then they just put an ace bandage on his shoulder, bro. You got shot. Yeah, you got shot, and that's been at least like five hours yeah, ago. You would be very sick. So, yeah, that see, and that's what I was talking about with like lazy filmmaking is that is that like those plot points never get revisited and never pay off. So, that's true. Yeah, it's not quite as bad as fighting a cloud, in my personal view. But it still ends with like a barrage of a barrage of CGI that could have been cooler, that looked cool but could have been cooler. I also I just thought that with I was kind of hoping that like when the weeping woman got a hold of these kids because this is kind of where the story was focused on, that we would almost end up like the kids would be wrapped up. And you know, so the movie starts in this field where she's playing with her children who give her this pendant. I imagined that when, so the little boy, um, he brings out the pendant because the mom has grabbed it, which was foreshadowed. And he's like using it and she becomes normal. 
like a, the nor- the mm-hmm. human person. I expected that when she like touched the pendant or touched them, that they all three would be transported back to that original time and they would be all playing in that circle again and their dad would be there and they would just be in this like enchantment trance. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I was ex- hoping and expecting. And then like the mother would be like totally at a loss. But then I was confused because they were saying that, you know, La Llorona was used as a kind of like a tail, kind of like Krampus, mm-hmm. you know, be good or she's going to come get you. Yeah. Right. Be good or Krampus can ruin your Christmas. Um, I thought because it was it was a morality tale or to keep you in line but then she's saying that she's prayed to the weeping woman in order to bring her children back but so I was really confused of what this demon was supposed to be and what the conjuring and the Annabelle movies do really well is like Valak for example Mm -hmm. we know so when the nun came around we knew how evil this creature was right we got from the conjuring to how truly evil this spirit was mm-hmm. right so when they send it away it's like ooh, that's evil this creature had no name other than it had a slight i still don't fully understand how there's a connection to the annabelle doll other than it brings spirits up like it well, says in the trailer did you, i didn't i didn't say it i oh, just got close okay i almost so, bombed it so i'm, sorry. I'm I'm going to let you take a moment to kind of breathe a little bit. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to drink this red, yeah. red wine. Please stop singing you be 40. I'm sorry. It's, it's okay. your fault. Yeah. So La Llorona wasn't connected to Annabelle. Only the priest was connected to Annabelle. And that is the one thread that makes this movie part of the Conjuring universe. Now, what this movie did that was driving me crazy, and the Conjuring movies don't do this. The Conjuring movies... By the time you get to the third act and everything starts going crazy, they have already established the rules and you get to see the characters figure out how to how to manipulate those rules to achieve their goal. Right. This movie was making up rules all the way until the middle of the third act. Uh, True. Like the whole, like, you know, they're the, they're the seeds from the fire tree. She can't cross that. It's like, well, why? You know? Didn't it have to do with like the original scene when they're like playing and there was a tree and it was carved and it was holy and then they that was the seeds of the tree? Maybe, but they but well, I maybe made that all that up. Yeah, I mean, you you might have that might be more explanation than the movie actually gives us. Um, but like they were making up that rule, they were making up all the rules in terms of like basically exercising the house, and then they bring in the she's now under the spell of La Llorona. She'll be trying to get to her uh, as soon as she calls, and then immediately after, Sam, the little girl, it's was ter- was terrified of her. So that rule only exists to have her look catatonic for five minutes, and then all of a sudden she's back to normal. I was so confused by that. Yeah. Whereas, like I said, the Conjuring movies establish their rules. There are moments in there where you like, where like they have to kind of realize things as they go, but the rules have already been established. This movie was making up rules all the way towards the end of it, and it drove me up the wall. Which just says to me that they never really, they never really thought out how how this movie should go and how this movie should end, and they were just throwing stuff to the wall. Uh, which is very, again, very similar to The Nun. The Nun had some had some really cool ideas in there. The thought of going to a, uh, going to a haunted uh, 
monastery? Nunnery. Nunnery. Going to a haunted nunnery and talking to all of these nuns. And Terrifying. Then f- Terrifying. Yeah. And then finding out that they've been dead this whole time and j- and just that this demon came and just wiped them all out. Nope. That should have been so scary. Whole bunch of nope. Which, the fact that you just talked about it makes me not want to go upstairs. The, yeah. The but, lights better be on. But, I mean, that's the thing. I'm sitting here ranting and I crafted a better story than the nun did. And well, therefore, that was I, the basis of the nun. Yeah, but they, but it was poor execution. And that's what I'm saying about this movie. So, I did some Wikipediaing. Uh-huh. So the weeping woman is actually painted by Pablo Picasso. So if you just Wikipedia and look up the weeping woman, probably Pablo Picasso. Um, this is what it, I'm going to show it to Jordan. This is the weeping woman. So I just, I was curious. So I looked up to see if La Llorona was an actual folklore. Uh, spoiler alert, Jordan and I are uh, white Americans. So we're of European descent. So I, you know, I was like, does this exist? There's actor, so I'm, this is, so it is Mexican folklore. Um, um, I was just curious. So, so in Mexican folklore, La Llorona, the weeping woman, is the ghost of a woman who drowned her children and now cries while looking for them in the river, often causing misfortune to those who are near or hear her. There is no credible source or evidence to the events that inspired the tale legend of La Llorona. Um, so it is, the legend is said that in a rural village, there lived a young woman named Maria. She was poor. Um, one, okay, maybe this is remotely interesting. One day, an extremely wealthy nobleman traveled through her village. He stopped in his tracks when he saw Maria. She was charmed by him and he was charmed by her beauty. So he proposed of her and she accepted. So she got married off to like a really rich person because women are commodities. Um, and she, they, so um, eventually she gave birth to two sons. Her husband was always traveling and began to stop spending time with his family. When he came home, he only paid attention to the sons and Maria knew her husband was falling out of love for her. So in the beginning, they talk about jealousy. Mm-hmm. They didn't tell us why he was jealous. She was jealous. Okay. So apparently super wealth, rich dude, spending more time with them. She got jealous. One day he returned to the village with the younger woman and told his son's farewell, ignoring Maria as she took her rage out on her children. Um, She realized what she had done and searched for them, but the river had already carried them away. In the movie, they chose not to have them carried away, which would have been much more interesting. And then she killed herself. See, to me, a much more interesting version of this movie would have been, A, have the guts to make it set in Mexico. And have it starring an all Hispanic cast. Agreed. It would have been so interesting. But B honestly, and have it in Spanish. Have this dubbed. Yeah, but B not dubbed, subtitled. Oh Lord. Have it have it take place in like the eighteen hundreds when they are developing like trying to develop you know, uh, a town or some kind of community in that area. And it happens to be at the river. Actually give La Llorona a, a like a tether almost. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like Freddy Krueger has your dreams. That's what he does. And he targets people based upon that. Jason Voorhees has Camp Crystal Lake. Michael Myers has whatever the screenwriter puts together to try and get him to kill people. La Llorona should have been tied to that river and people are trying to Dude. colonize that area. Dude, 
even more interesting, this could have been almost the Hispanic version of Friday the 13th. Many parents in Latin America use this story to scare their children from staying out too late. Mm -hmm. Um, She kidnaps wandering children in the night, mistaking them for her own. Like, yo, this could have been, um, and they say that um, her whales are similar to the Gaelic banshee legend. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, it's something that we all know, but I think think you're totally onto something. Los Angeles was close, but set this in, like, Latin America, and they should have had a... Um, they should have had a Hispanic director. Yeah, well, because th- this it, is obviously is didn't... Michael Chavez not a Hispanic director? Oh, is he? Well, they, they should have had an all Hispanic cast. I agree. Yeah. Now I love. Oh. Um, I think Linda Cardellini is really good, but I think that this movie, this movie should have been a Mexican folklore to- told from the perspective of Mexican people. Agreed. Um, I think that they sh- that they should have given her established rules. We have no idea how La Llorona got to, uh, got to Los Angeles. No. And how did she start haunting that other family? Right. And we have no idea why she chooses the Los Angeles river. Oh, he is Mexican. I I thought so. But, but like this didn't result, this didn't feel like, I don't know. I, I personally, I I just want to point out too, that La Llorona could only accomplish this. Like, a month out of the year because the LA river is usually dry. I know. Confusing, right? Yeah. Dry as a bone. Right. Um, so he is Mexican. So that is my, my apologies for misspeaking, but this was not drenched in folklore. No. And like, I know I have had the great fortune to grow up with a lot of Hispanic friends and people around me. And when they tell stories, it's different than how like my grandma tell stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a different culture. They grew up in, in drenched in something else. Like if you want to hear some Irish, you know, horror stories, I've got those for you, but like it's different and it didn't feel like it had, it didn't feel legendary. It didn't feel drenched in culture, which it totally could have. And it would have been so cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that they were probably trying to set up a prequel movie like they did with the nun. And be like, oh well, we'll answer those questions next time. It's like, no, just tell, just tell a good story, and if your villain is strong enough, the sequels will come. If you build it, they will come. We yeah. rewatched that recently. That's a great movie. It was super fun. Yeah, we also rewatched The Birdcage, which was great. God, all of these movies are so much better than The Curse of La Llorona. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think that this movie just missed the mark. All yeah, over the talking place. about it more, it I I kind of didn't quite realize how many ends were loose. Like there was like 10,000 shoes and 20,000 shoelaces. Yeah. Yeah. It just, again, kind of like Holmes and Watson. Who's this movie made for? I don't know. I, again, you can watch this movie, but if you want to see better versions of this, watch the first two conjuring movies. You know, watch Annabelle Creation. I mean, watch the original Annabelle. I mean, I don't love that movie. It's almost the same movie. Yeah. I mean, you've said this, but like, yeah. You know, but like, this movie is basically The Nun. It's slightly better than The Nun, but to me, that's still not saying anything. I think I'm changing my... I think I'm going to say the hell with consistency. I'm giving this movie like a two and a quarter. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, well, I think we all well, probably, I mean, like I said, the nun is a one and a half for me. Yeah, the nun's probably lower than a two for me. Yeah, I did not like the nun at all. Um, this, at least, I, I felt like really tense at some, there were certain points. The makeup in this was really good. Absolutely. The Weepy Woman's makeup was rules good. Um, and the acting in this was significantly better than it was in The Nun. Yeah, the nun and, that, and The Nun the, even has two actors who I really like, too. Yeah, agreed. But like they had like Frenchie hitting on her the whole time, and it was like, we quit. Yeah, well, I mean, we can say that this movie didn't have a weird nun fetish to it. Yeah. yeah. The nun fetish was weird. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah... Uh, Tysa Farmiga is a babe, but like, let's, Agreed. but let's stop fetishizing her. Yeah. And it was also weird that she looked like, um, that she looked like Vera playing Lorraine Warren. Right. Who obviously they're sisters. We, they have the same last name. We get that. But like, yeah, but they, they are, they are, look so alike in real life. It was really distracting. It was really distracting. Um, Cause I kept being like, Oh my God, are they going to make this a Lorraine Warren connection? I thought so too, but we're, then it got weirder. Listen to the nun episode. Yeah. Um, this movie, man, I just, I just really think that they really, they really need to get, if they're going to keep doing these conjuring movies, they really need to get themselves in line. Uh, they need to actually create tangible rules for things. They actually need to create, uh, stakes and they need to follow through. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. except for Annabelle creation, the other conjuring movies just aren't doing that. No. And I feel like they just need to go wild. Yeah. Like this movie could have gone wild mm-hmm. and it would have been really cool. Well, and I think that's one of the things that makes the first conjuring movie so special is that, you know, they just made the movie and they, they were like, well, let's not make it with a whole lot of just like graphic violence because we want to try and aim for PG 13. And they went and submitted it to the MPAA, who gave it an R. And they were like, what can we do to change that? And they were like, well, it's just the overall tone. It's very disturbing. But why ruin a good horror movie? Keep it. So they didn't make that movie set out to be like PG-13 or R. They just made the movie. This felt like a movie that was very calculated. Yeah. And calculated in the worst possible ways. You know, we were talking about this recently, about a movie that we were both a part of, um, that... You can have a lot of really good moments, but a lot of good moments does not a good movie make. Right. Yeah, I mean, this particular movie that Jessica's referring to, and, you know, we'll see what we do with it one day, and those of you who know us have probably heard the 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 behind-the-scenes story on this one. But, like, you know, I did a score I was actually pretty proud of. Of course. Uh, You know, Jessica was great in it. Oh, I'm talking about something different. Oh, well, this... This one, though, I'm talking about the series of scenes. Um, for I'm talking about a different movie. Okay, we'll we'll go off the record and get on that one. But this yeah. one that I'm talking about, uh, it had the, some brilliant cinematography in it. But it's like Jessica was saying, just because you have some great parts doesn't mean the sum is going right. to be great. Well, and the movie that I'm spe- specifically speaking about is. You can't have all these really, really great ideas and hope that something very, very trivial is going to make you a through line. Yeah. You have to really make the stakes high. Mm-hmm. To, and, and that's also why I was wondering why the dad was gone. Like, w- w- maybe he's fighting for his life. I don't, I don't know. Give us some bigger stakes. The yeah. mother now, the mother has had huge stakes. Yeah. Huge. But it, 
And they were trying to hold on to the last little bit of family that they have, which is the most vulnerable thing that I can think of. And I can't imagine losing some, something so precious, Mm -hmm. but especially in these movies, we know that like Lorraine Warren is constantly having to battle for her own daughter Mm -hmm. while trying to help other people. Lorraine is constantly putting her own self on the line in these movies to help others. Yeah. I, I will say just kind of talking about like, you know, Lorraine and then that brings us to Annabelle three. I, I do have to wonder if, uh, if the, brains behind the conjuring movies heard our episode on the nun where we were talking about like you just have all of this entire room full of haunted relics why are you making up new characters tbd on that yeah i mean i don't actually think that happened but wouldn't that be nice wouldn't that be funny that would be like our our major contribution to film history is that we got the conjuring movies to play to their strengths now so far i don't think that's happening (laughs) (laughs) no i don't think so either um so i think we're getting to these um this point where we start to spiral yeah i mean would you recommend people see this movie no all right in a couple of sentences why um If you want to laugh out loud at a very bad movie, go see The Nun. Mm -hmm. If you want to go see the good version of this movie, there's all the ones that Jordan's already mentioned. I thought that it had a really good build in the moment, but thinking of all the things that it let drop, it felt really disappointing. Now, if you have some people that you are in this movie, such as the actors that you just want to see shine go see it. If you want to see something that has to do a little bit more with a culture that's not just, you know, a white American, go see it. Um, But otherwise, this movie really lets us down and I feel like if you really want to go see like a horror film set in a Latin American world, go see something that Robert Rodriguez did and go see some vampires do some crazy wild crap. Oh, Oh yeah, I mean, like, let's say if you're flipping through the channels, and this movie and From Dusk Till Dawn starts at the same time. Stop everything you're doing and go see From Dusk Till Dawn. Yes. Go, it's an important movie. So uh, as far as horror and craziness goes. Mm-hmm. I, that, it is an infinitely more entertaining movie. It's great. It's wild. Um, yeah. No, I kind of feel the same way is that there are so many other movies that will accomplish what this movie was trying to accomplish uh, much better. Yeah. And for the love of all that's good, if you liked this movie... Tell us why. Yeah. We're always all ears. Mm-hmm. But so far, when especially when we've gotten people who disagree with us, come on, bring uh, us your reasons. Bring it, bring us your reasons. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty passionate about the movies I like and the movies I don't like, but I'm always willing to be uh to be have my mind changed. If somebody can come up and tell give me a dissertation on why the nun is actually a great movie, I will actively rewatch that. Oh, a hundred percent. But until then, you have to prove me wrong. Yeah. Um, real quick, I would say let's just go on ahead and end the episode, but you did tease this earlier, and or I think we both did, and we need to talk about it. Uh, so we saw this movie in the same theater, literally the same theater 
that yes. we saw the Predator and Halloween in. Yes. Now I've already gone on record and eaten crow about uh, bad mouthing the Predator sound editing because after watching Halloween in the same theater and then me rewatching Halloween again in another theater, I realized that it is just the sound in this particular theater. Correct. Well, lo and behold, we get stuck in the same theater again for this, and it's doing the exact same thing. The music is popping up loud all over the place, and it'll just get dead quiet. Yeah, it just drops out. Yeah, it just drops out and very obstructively pops back in. Right. So we talked to the manager of the theater this time. We told her the whole story. She was taking notes, and I was like, listen, I'm an audio guy. I'm going to try not to geek you to death on this. But I had to explain to her about uh, noise gating and stuff like that, and I was like, literally, you just need to have whoever installs these uh, systems come in and recalibrate the sound. And she was like, well, you know, I never watch movies in this theater because when things come, we test it out in theater number one, and we were in theater number six. Right. So she was like, like, and she was like, I'm newer here. Yeah. I've never seen a movie in there. Yeah, so she was like, to, she was like, listen, I have to be here till twelve thirty anyway. Once everybody leaves, I'm gonna go run the last ten minutes of this movie and check it out. So uh, it was a very, it was a very good conversation to have with somebody, and she was very receptive. She was taking notes the whole time. Yeah, and she like it could have easily been construed as like, well, I just need to see your manager. And that's not how I wanted it to be, but like you know, you almost white ladied them. Yeah, I I I almost Beckyed them. You know, <laughs> not our friend Becky, just you know the zeitgeist Becky, the zeitgeist Becky. Um, but uh, but yeah. So the 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 people who were working in the theater were super great. Uh, the manager was great. And if you have a problem in a movie theater, because we talk about the film going experience all the time, and this particular theater we go to, they've installed uh. They've installed recliners in there. It is it, comfortable. Yeah, it's always clean. Yes, uh, you know, the floor, bathrooms are clean. Heaven forbid. Like, yeah, the floors are a little sticky, but that's to be expected in a the movie theater. I mean, they can only control so much. Right, but and the people are super nice. But if you want to, if they want to bring pe- get people's you know butts back in the seats, you know. There are things like this, and you and I talked about this. We're filmmakers. I'm an audio guy. We're going to notice things like this. Other people might not. But what if people, that just gives them an excuse to be like, you know, I don't know why, but I would just rather watch this at home. Right. So I'm really hoping that more movie theaters will focus on the film-going experience like that. And I know it's hard working in and running a movie theater. Uh, you know, we, we have friends who we went to high school with who were working in movie theaters and they were like, yeah, we came here because we wanted free popcorn and a free movie every so often. And it's awful. Yeah. Um, well, it's extremely, it's extremely hard work. And the fact that you remotely go into a movie theater and it's remotely clean in between showings. Oh yeah. I mean, we left the theater today and people left all of their stuff in the seats. Yeah. Y'all pick it up. Throw it away. The trash can is right there. It's right there. And how often do you go out of the movie theater and that trash can is full and you have to go two trash cans down and throw it away? And like we've encountered that. We're always like the, some of the last people out of the theater. So sometimes they're full. But for the most part, you've got an empty trash can. Please help them out because they're trying to make it actually clean. And like think of how many times that you've gone in and, and like sat in a clean seat. Yeah. It's because someone has to do that and they don't have a lot of time to do it. So... Yeah, they literally have like 10 minutes between showings to clean an entire yeah. theater. So I'm going to call it taking the date night pledge. Mm-hmm. So please take the date night pledge and clean up after yourself because I know I want to keep having good movie theater experiences. And like it's it's not just on movie theater 
pe- the people who run it. It's also on us. Yeah. And we have the, like, and I feel like that's just like, we just had Earth Day and that's just a big thing about us anyway. And if you're, you know, if you're still listening to this podcast right now, then obviously you like movies, right? You're still listening to us. You like movies. You've gotten this far in the podcast. And so that all being said, it's, it's important that you take pride, um, in what we, in what these places are. So take the date night pledge, clean up after yourself, be a part of the solution, not the problem when going out on your date nights. Be courteous. If you've got a toddler, please don't bring them into a rated R movie. Be kind, be courteous. Don't talk during the movie. Don't check your cell phone. If you do put it on super dim and be a part of the positive movie making experience or movie going experience. Yeah. Yeah, and like we said, we want you to go see movies. We want to keep going to see movies. Yeah. And, you know, a bad theater experience will wreck that. And why would you want to do that to yourself? Yeah, I mean, we're taking a break from an entire chain of movie theaters right now because they were ruining our experience. Yeah. So we're taking a break. So be it. Yeah. There it goes. Okay. Um. Well, I think that we've had enough spiraling and high horsing. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we should probably just go on ahead and sign off, right? I think so. And if you're listening till now, thank you so much. Help us get the word out. Give us a five-star review. Um, leave a review in general. It's really helpful. It uh, helps us grow. Um, and we can't see, wait to see some of you at Malton Fest. Yeah, we are stoked for Malton Fest. We are going to be there on Sunday. Yes. Um, and if you're going to be at the Taurus World Stunt Awards... Make sure you say hello and mm-hmm. let us know if you listen to the pod. It, that's going to be a crazy weekend. We got the Taurus Awards on Saturday night, and then we have the we have Malton Fest on Sunday morning. Yep, and uh, then up to the ranch. Yeah, so crazy. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a crazy weekend, but uh, I'm super looking forward to it. Yeah. I love Los Angeles. Agreed. All right. With that being said, I'm Jess. I'm Jordan, and we'll see you next time.